Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, welcome back to another episode of Royals Review Radio. My name is Alex Duvall. I'm the host of this thing. Joined, as always, tonight by Jeremy Greco. Jeremy, we took a little bit of a hiatus. I'm glad you're back. How are you doing? I I exist again, so I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah. Exist again. I like it. Um, joined also tonight by Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Max, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, Alex. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Joined also tonight for the first time by, um, I don't know how new, but it seems like a fairly new addition to the Royals Review staff, Jackson Bracken. Um, I don't know that I've ever met anybody whose first and last name get that close to rhyming. So congratulations for having that achievement, Jackson. Uh, thanks for joining the show. Thank you. Glad to be on here. I've been listening to you guys for a while. So Ryan O'Hearn. <laughs> Just dive right in. No, I, I saw him today. He tweeted out a GIF. It was like, um, appreciate all the nice, all the nice comments everybody made, like high five. (laughs) It was just like, you know, like somebody needs to show Tyron Matthew that tweet. And it was like, this is how you engage with the fans, Tyron. Like, you don't, (laughs) don't take it too seriously. It's just fun. It's just Twitter. Um, even if people really are being hateful, they're, they're talking heads behind a computer screen. Like let's, Let's let it go a little bit. Not everything has to be taken personally because I guarantee you Ryan O'Hearn got more slack yesterday than Tyron Matthew ha- has gotten with the Chiefs, um, especially without the praise. So I was glad to see him kind of joke about it this morning. In all seriousness, I really don't know what the what the Royals are waiting for. I guess at this point you hope the, the batted ball profile just catches up. And uh, it, it's funny because the Royals are basically admitting like we have no better – like. Like, and that's kind of the sad thing is like we have nothing better to do with this roster spot than let Ryan O'Hearn keep it. And it's 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 funny to me, but it's like at the same time, it's like that is a total indictment on the rest of your organization. If if he is the well, let's just see what happens. Because there's a lot of guys out there where you can throw some money at and well, let's just see what happens. Um and and Ryan O'Hearn is probably the least um has the lowest ceiling of all of them. And see, that's the thing to me right now is, as you put it, what are they waiting for or what are they waiting on? Or you said the word waiting and that triggered in me that they're not waiting anymore, right? They're actively keeping him on the roster there. This is no longer uh, well, we don't have to make a decision yet. They made a decision and it's to keep him. And listen, I don't think you're going to find a bigger Ryan O'Hearn apologist at Royals review than me. And it's, it was past, it's way past time for him to go. It was time for him to go probably in August. I, and I was, you know, okay, fine. They're waiting. They're just going to non-tender him, whatever. And then they tendered him. Jacob Junis couldn't even get a a tender, but Ryan O'Hearn can. I 
do not understand it. And I get the bad at the ball profile thing. That's been my defense in a lot of times, but come on. It's just, it's not happening. When you see three years of it's not happening, it's not happening. He needs to, I, I, I feel like his best is the, even if the Royals offer him money, I think he should just be like, you know what? Screw it. Major leagues are not working out for me. And he should follow McBroom into Asia. Go play for Japan. Go play for Korea. I think he'd have a lot of success there. Uh, this this whole Kansas City role. Go just like, can he de- decline the contract and just go to the Yankees? Because that short porch in right field with the Yankees t- will turn a lot of his routine fly balls into home runs. So I just anything other than staying with the Royals. I don't, I don't see what's in it for Ryan O'Hearn anymore. I guess other than a million bucks, which, you know, I, I would also take, so I can't blame him for that, but. So hmm. no, he can't just deny the contract. Otherwise everybody would be a free agent from the jump. So he can't say no, which is ironic. Like how many opportunities have you ever had in your life where somebody's like, Hey, here's a million dollars. And you're like, yeah, no, thanks. I don't want it. They're like, no, you're going to, you're going to take it and you're going to have it and you're going to like it and you're going to show up to work every day. Here's a million dollars. Um, and you can't say no. I think it's kind of a funny thing. Um, but anyway, Max, uh, any thoughts on the, the Royals uh, tendering or non-tendering of, of players just in general? Well, you know, Jeremy mentions him going to Yankee stadium, having success. I don't think he would because his big issue with the Royals has been kind of pounding the ball into the ground, which, you know, you can't hit it over the fence when you're, you know, hitting grounders to second. And so my thought is, you know, maybe they see something in the in advanced in the stat cast analytics and they think they're working with maybe assistant, new assistant hitting coach, uh, Keone Dureno. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, maybe he can unlock some more potential from him. Uh, Alec Lewis had a tweet. Alec Lewis of the Athletic had a tweet where he said, like, you know, the Royals, you know, he's only one of only two first basemen on the roster that have played on an everyday basis at first base. That counts for something, which, you know, a lot of Royals fans are pretty skeptical about that. But I do think there is something where, like, A, the Royals are pretty loyal to players that are already in the system to a fault, usually. Um, but also I think it could be a situation where they want to go into spring training having Santana and O'Hearn available at first base uh, in case Nick Prado is not ready. And I think Nick Prado will probably start next year in the minors. And Santana is kind of an injury risk at this point. Uh, and then if, if it turns out that they don't need O'Hearn, if they're like, wow, Prado's really lining it up, then they can still cut him in spring training and only be out uh, one-sixth of his salary, assuming the new collective bargaining agreement uh, is the same on that as, as the old one. Um, but I think, you know, I've I mentioned, I've talked about the Kila, Kila Kaui situation in 2000. Uh, 11 where he be- began the year as the opening day first baseman everyone knew he was a stop ga- uh, you know just a, a place filler until Eric Hosmer was ready by May Hosmer was ready he was called up and and Kayla was sent on his way I kind of think that could be all Hearn's role this year or this next year he's just a placeholder until Prado's up Prado comes up in May O'Hearn's kind of designated for assignment up or stashed it he still has an option here left they can stash in Omaha's depth but um yeah, that's my best guess at why he's still here, but I probably would. You know, it's not going to be a lot. It's going to be like a million, a million five probably that he gets through the arbitration process. But I don't, he's occupying a, a, a roster spot. That's probably the more valuable consideration at this point. And I don't, I don't know if he's really justified it. Can I just say that the last time the Royals suddenly didn't have a first baseman 
the last time I could think of when the Royals suddenly didn't have a first baseman was when Jeff King retired in the middle of a season. And then Mike Sweeney happened. So I feel like not having a first baseman isn't necessarily a bad thing. When Hunter Dozier can, can play first base, because I mean, he's played there before. I think he'd probably be okay. He'd be That'd be where you can stash him defensively, I think, without hurting yourself too much. So That is the only place. It, that's, that's the thing that gets me is like you already have a little bit of a log jam on the infield. Like not that it's like overwhelming, but there's a little bit of a how do you get, you know, Mondesi, Lopez, Witt, and Witt on the same infield at the same time and, you know, make room for Prado eventually and pay Hunter Dozier who you've paid play Hunter Dozier, who you've paid already, and play Michael A. Taylor, Kyle Isbell, Carlos Santana, who you've paid, Andrew Benintendi, who's getting paid. Like, you've got all these guys under contract. Like, like this is a great time to let Hunter Dozier play first base. And it's like they – I'm just – I'm worried they're holding on to 2018 as if somehow, like, we're going to magically get back to that. Um, it's kind of what I'm what I'm worried about, but whatever. Um Jackson, is there anything left to say about Ryan O'Hearn, or do you have any other thoughts about the rest of the Royals roster? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really that shocked by the move. I just don't really understand, you know, like everyone's already been saying, like where he's going to fit into this team because, you know, first phase we have Santana, Prado coming up eventually, Pasquantino coming up, um, who I really like. And then I guess you could try to put him in right field, but then who's going to be in right field? Because you have Dozier, you have Witt. Isabel, who I really like out there. So the only other option would be DH, and you can't have a DH who's hit, who hit 225 last year, 215 in his career. So, I mean, the Royals must just be holding on to hope that um, his last few games um, over the two years in AAA, how he did it really – he did excellent in those games. So he must they must be assuming that eventually that will transfer on because I can't imagine any other reason why he'd get so many opportunities when guys like Edurel Olivares – um, are just getting tossed around back and forth. And he produced great in AAA, but he just seems to never get a real shot in the majors. One, let, let alone in um, Ryan O'Hearn seems to be getting several. I think this speaks to a, a more broader conversation, a, a broader conversation about the, the Royals parading around about how well they treat their players is like at some point, you know, giving guys the benefit of the doubt, giving guys umpteenth chances is is actually hurting the rest of them. Like I, I don't know. I don't. I've never been like super like overly critical of the Royals, like parading around, patting themselves on their back. Oh, we treat our players so good. You know, over at Royals Farm Report, we interview guys all the time. You know, I I decided to sign with the Royals because of the way they treat their players, and I don't I don't doubt that. I don't I don't think that's that's wrong. I also think it's like totally overblown. Like what they've done to Richard Lovelady is not treating your players well. That's not taking care of your own guys. So you drafted him, you developed him, you had him get Tommy John surgery to be a part of the team in the future, then you cut him. That's not taking care of your players. That's not being there for them. Right. That's it. You traded for Edward Olivares to not give him a chance. Even if you don't think he's good, that's fine. If you don't think he's good, let him go somewhere else and be bad. Like at some point, you know, blocking guys like this is it's not taking care of your own. And and I, and I really have a hard time when people say, Oh, we take care of our own. We're going to give guys chances. Well, you're doing that at the, at the cost of giving someone else a chance. It's just, it's weird. I, I don't, you know, people are like, Oh, they would never game service time. And it's like Brady singer. It's like, yeah, well look at like literally everybody else who they just happen to have the extra year of control over. And 
not that they've ever had any like extreme examples of actually gaming service time, but like how many examples do we really have of them not cheating it either? Like what Brady Singer is, is one. Um, I, we're gonna we're gonna get a pretty good pretty good look this spring uh, if if Melendez and Prado and Witt Jr. all come out and are raking in spring training and they all start in Omaha. I, I don't ever want to hear about well we would never game service time. I don't ever want to hear about it ever again. The new CBA um, surely will affect this. The spring performances of these guys will, will affect this. I'm not saying we're there yet. I'm just saying we're going to get a really good look at it this spring because I really think the, you know, the the padding on the back of of yourself is potentially uh, gonna gonna be a talking point uh, as we get into like opening day in the first couple weeks of the season. Didn't they just to to kind of counter that just a little bit unless i'm wrong i think then they call up eric hosmer early enough that they didn't get an extra year on him but he was super two no he was he was super two so he got he got the extra money the extra year of arbitration but the royals got the seventh year the seventh quote-unquote year of control on him i think you know to modesty wasn't they didn't really gain this sense they probably called him up too early if anything um but you know that's another example but yeah i don't i don't I think it'll be moot by next year. I think that service time is going to be – it's something that's on the table right now between negotiations. I think either they'll, they'll come to some – I think I don't think anyone's really happy with the way things are right now, and that may be one of the things that changes with the new labor deal. Yeah, the, the way that it's structured right now really doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't understand how, if you're the players, like negotiating that you have to get so many days to get that year of service time. It's never really made any sense to me, so – I do. I hope you're right. I, I I really hope that they do change the fundamental like requirements for reaching one year of service time um, because it is broken. It it is so broken. When you have, you know, was it was it the Mariners GM or the owner who came out and was like, yeah, we're not going to see Kellenic and we're not going to see Rodriguez. He's a close president, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's like what? How do you know? Like why? Why do you know this? Like that's not how that's supposed to work. So. Um, another thing that I hope they come up with in the CBA is some kind of, of agreed revenue sharing, not revenue sharing. I'm sorry. Um, is not revenue sharing between the teams, but of like between the teams and their players, like the NFL and the NBA both have, it's really close to 50% of league revenue will be given to the players. And I don't know the MLB players even know what league revenue is much less have the ability to split it. So like, how do we come up with a, with a system where the players can, can be told here's the revenue, here's exactly how much money will be given back to the players. And then at that point, I think you have to have some kind of league minimum salary. I'm not going to say it has to be 90 million. I even feel like that's high, but like, I feel like we can all agree to 80 million. I don't know of a single club who, if you look at it objectively, couldn't put $80 million on the field every single season. You're talking about like a, payroll, a payroll minimum. Yes. Yeah. So, so they, I think the players union has gotten a look at the books every once in a while when they have labor negotiations, they have resisted a split like you're talking about because that's the first step towards a salary cap in their mind. So, um, the NBA, so the NBA and NFL obviously already have that salary cap. They don't want uh, any kind of tie between salaries and overall revenues. Um, now that that is kind of short-sighted. I mean, I think some would argue, I, I think I've, I've come around that viewpoint in that 
there effectively is a salary cap in baseball. It's the luxury tax threshold, and many teams aren't willing to go over that. And so if you're going to have a maximum, I think you're right. They probably they should negotiate a minimum. Uh, there are issues with with doing that, and that yeah, you can tie it to revenues. Player uh, owners are getting pretty good at hiding revenues, especially with owning stakes and, and um, regional sports networks. They're doing developments around ballparks, which add revenue, but is not non-baseball revenue. So um, it gets a little tricky, but um, I don't disagree that that could be a way to kind of get closer to competitive parity, also get players a fair fair cut, but also make sure that teams are not tanking and being like the, the pirates who have like a $30 million payroll right now. Um, so, you know, we'll see if that gets... Um, take care of the labor labor talks. And this is, this is where I come in and say, no, we do need revenue sharing because if you're going to have a salary cap and it's going to be tied to the league profits, then, then, and you're going to have a salary floor. If your salary floor is going to be meaningful, then it, it needs to be, everybody needs to be equal. You're talking about, well, 90 might be too high. Okay. Well, 90 is nothing to the Yankees. It's nothing to the Dodgers. It's nothing to the Cubs. And that's a problem. If it's if it's too high for some teams and it's nothing to others, then the competitive balance isn't there and the, the reasons for spending aren't there. And a salary cap and a salary floor start to not make a ton of sense. So I, I actually wrote about this a couple of weeks ago, but I think that baseball needs to acknowledge that like, yeah, the Yankees bring in more money by themselves than the Royals do, but the Yankees don't bring in any money if they don't got anybody to play. And so they need to accept that the Royals contribute to their profits and, and we need that the league as a whole is what makes this whole thing work. And they need to share revenues at least to the degree that everybody can, everybody spends roughly a roughly similar amount on, on payroll. That's how you're going to get competitive uh, salaries. That's how you're going to get competitive teams and, and reduce reasons for tanking. It's a really weird line. Like I, the the principal in me, not like you know school principal, but like the the my the principled part of me is like torn between let teams make their own money and spend their own money, and I, I you know, like what is fair, like what. I don't know. I'm, I am torn on the issue. And no, I, that's and what I, I'm saying. The teams don't make their own money. The Yankees make no money without the other teams. It takes all of them. And it, I mean, it's, if the, if it was the Yankees and like three other teams, they still don't make any money because who wants to watch the same four teams play each other over and over again. Right. It takes the whole league. So to a degree, they make their own money, but also to a degree, they really don't. And the other leagues have all acknowledged that the NBA, the, uh, the NFL, I think hockey also has a similar setup um, that they're all in this together. And until MLB is willing to admit that they really are all in this together, it's going to be a problem. I do have an just, issue like, like fundamentally with the idea that potentially, and, I, and again, I'm, it's not like I've ever seen the Royals books, maybe the Royals, past few owners are making cash hand over fist and they're just refusing to spend it. But in a league where, you know, the same city, the same market can sign Patrick Mahomes to the biggest contract in NFL history 
and the Royals effectively have no shot at signing Bobby Witt Jr. when he becomes a free agent. At at present, the way we've seen the Royals operate in the past, the Royals are going to get six, seven years of Bobby Witt Jr., and then he is gone, right? I mean, that's, that is exactly what has been the case for the Royals year in and year out since I can remember. I'm 27 years old. I can't remember it being any different. I can't ever remember the Royals having a true superstar. I mean, like outside of Salvi, but there were some – there were some kind of um, different circumstances with him with the first couple of contracts that he signed, kind of putting him in a hole. Like Eric Hosmer, Lorenzo Kane. I was shocked that the Royals offered Hosmer $100 million, not because of the player, just the fact they were going to offer anyone $100 million. It didn't seem like they were ever in the running for Lorenzo Kane. Um, it's just, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should expect the Royals to do that anyway, I've never, but I've never seen the books. I don't know how – you know, the Chiefs can – it is frustrating to see the Chiefs be able to do it and know the Royals effectively have no shot. I do think a salary floor would be the um, first step in the right direction, though, because I don't know if the MLB will ever be able to get um, as equal of a playing field in terms of payroll as, you know, like the NBA and NFL because it's just the difference between, like, a team like the Orioles, what they're paying players, and the Yankees – it's just unbelievable. And I think if you can just raise the floor up so the Orioles are forced to, and other teams like the Orioles will be forced to um, just pay, pay the players more and actually like put in more of an effort that would bring in some more balance. I, I just don't, I think the floor would be better than the cap right now. Cause it'd be, it'd be hard to cap a team like the Yankees, or the Dodgers when, I mean, we'd all assume they'd be bringing in much more revenue than, a, than the swan market teams would. Well, and like Max said, they're already capped. They, it's not called a cap, but that's how they treat it. Yeah. The fact that the Twins and Rays each committed over $100 million to players, the Twins with Byron Buxton and Wander Franco, the Rays signing Wander Franco. And you're right, the Royals did offer Eric Hosmer over $100 million. That suggests to me that smaller market teams can retain some of these players or sign players to $100 million contracts. Now, maybe they can't sign you know, a $330 million contract like Corey Seager got. But there is money. There's more money that they can spend that they're not necessarily spending. Uh, and, they, you know, they can't sign every player maybe. Uh, and they certainly can't, spend, you know, keep up with the Yankees and Dodgers. I'm not saying there's not a problem. But I do think some of the smaller teams could probably spend more. And, look, David Glass, he had a payroll up to, what, $130 million at the, at the height of the Royals um, spending. So it was more like, I think he got all the way to 150 in the middle of 20. Yeah, I think it was close. Yeah, I think you're right. So, you know, when they're in that contention window, I think they will be willing to spend. And for certain players, maybe, you know, Bobby Wood Jr. Maybe one of those special players are willing to kind of go above and beyond. for. I, I saw someone the other day and I, I kind of want to get your guys thoughts on this. How would you feel about incentivizing payroll maybe not overall payroll, but like the number of players making X on your team with draft pick compensation. So the Rangers, instead of, okay, so like the qualifying offer is literally the opposite of this. So let's say the Rangers go out and give Corey Seager 10 years, $325 million. And the and Major League Baseball goes, okay, here's an extra second round comp pick. Like, thanks for paying our players. The team wins, the players win. The owners win because they got more good players. Like, who doesn't win in that scenario? Maybe maybe there is a loser that I'm not aware of. But the more people that are getting paid, the more teams that are paying players. Like, imagine being the Royals, a small market team. You have to build through the draft, right? Okay, well, now we're incentivized 
to give Nicky Lopez an extension this year because we if we get this payer play, they're going to give us an extra second-round pick. Yeah, absolutely we'll pay this guy. And you could do it the same way that you give comp picks now. You The same way you give comp picks now is you put the teams in their respective markets and the Royals, when you lose a player, get a comp uh, round A pick, whereas like the Yankees, we get a comp round B pick. So the Royals, if you give a player $50 million, it's a comp round B pick. If the Yankees give that same player 50, it's a comp round C pick or whatever, right? So I heard somebody throw that out there the other day, and I was like, I, I like this. I like the idea of that. I don't know who loses in that situation. The owners. <laughs> I mean, they're going to have that. You're making uh, more of a market for the players to pay the players. And that's going to drive the prices up. I mean, draft pick compensation was originally designed to be a drag on free agency. Originally, when free agency started, you had to actually give up a player in your minor league system to sign a free agent. Uh, they eventually scrapped that after a couple of years. But the whole the whole system was set up to depress free agent salaries. And so you're, by incentivizing it, you're just you know, goosing the system, really. And so I, I think that's why owners will probably be against it. But it's an interesting idea. I like I like kind of the, the thought of, of getting around tanking by making it, you know, making that part of the rebuild, signing players and investing in players. Uh, everything we've pretty much talked about is, is anti-owner at this point. Salary floor is anti-owner. Uh, uh, revenue sharing is anti-owner. Uh, added draft picks for signing guys is anti-owner. So basically, basically what we're left with is the owners are killing baseball. That's that's my takeaway for this conversation. But they're not like I I, I know everybody. You know I, I I have seen it several times on Twitter. Baseball is dying. They've got to do something to save the sport. And then like the next tweet is major league owners have given out 1.1 billion dollars in contracts the last five hours. It's like. I don't know that baseball is like dying. I don't like, I think baseball is actually thriving, but I think the owners love the baseball's dying narrative. I think they love it. I think they love it because they can cry poor. They can cry. What was me? They can do all these things. And it doesn't, it doesn't hurt them in any way because they know that it's not dying. They know what they're doing is working. And even if it's not growing as fast as it could, it's still growing. Like they are still making, I think generally, money hand over fist, which is why you said the, the Rays are able to give out a $100 million contract guaranteed. Um, you know, it, even if the Rays, like Max, I think you said it exactly, even if they can't compete for Seager, like they're competing and giving their own guys the money, which is why, again, I don't want to say the Royals for sure can be giving out this money. Never seen the books. I don't know. But it really feels like we're getting to a point where it's it's got to be getting closer. And if it's not actually getting closer, then it needs to be getting closer. Let me let me rephrase that from instead of owners are killing baseball to owners are making baseball less fun. Well, that might be. At least they haven't in, implemented any taunting penalties yet. <laughs> no, I mean, this week's been fun. I mean, after like two or three off seasons that have been like just a slow burn, <laughs> this, this this like self-imposed lockout deadline has created a like the busiest week in, you know, in my recent memory. And I don't know, I think it's kind of interesting to see on the one hand, owners saying like, well, we need to open up the labor agreement. We're reworking because, you know, we're, the, the system isn't working and they, yet they're handing out these large contracts. I don't know. Uh, Alex, what do you think about um, some of these big contracts we're seeing out there? I, okay. So I put out uh, a poll on Twitter about basically which, which contracts of the Royals be most which as a Royals fan, which 
would you be most comfortable giving out? Even amongst the massive contracts, there are still some steals on the market, in my opinion, guys that are getting really good deals that I thought would get more money um, in more years or, or, or one of the two. Um, but I think I think I projected Corey Seager. I think I said he's going to get – I said he's going to go to the Yankees, but I think I said he was going to get, what, like three and 10 and 320? Um, I thought Correa would get 10 and about 320 or actually, I think, I think I said Seager 12 and 320 and maybe Correa 10 and 320 or something like that. But I don't, I, I mean, this is, that's the value of having a player like Corey Seager. I mean, Corey Seager's top 10 player in baseball. He's an incredible shortstop. He's an incredible hitter when he's healthy. Like the health is going to be, you know, the big, the big thing for him. Uh, but he is. I mean, he is one of the top 10 players in baseball in my mind. He's incredible. And I think anytime you can get a player like that, like I would have, if the Rangers would have come out and said, we're going to give him, you know, 12 years and 400 million, I think that would be uh, semi like borderline ridiculous. But like, that's what, if that's what you got to pay to get a thoroughbred at shortstop, I mean, that's, it's the going rate. I mean, we saw Trout and Harper get insane amounts of money. Uh, Tatis Jr. got insane amounts of money. I mean, that's the going rate for having a superstar in the, as a fixture in your lineup for the next 10 years. And I don't think there's – it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I do like how the, um, you know, the self-imposed lockout coming up kind of made this free agency feel a lot like the NBA free agency where it's two – the last two days have just been nonstop. Check your phone one minute, $100 million deal. <laughs> Check your phone the next minute, $300 million. Just – it made things a lot more exciting and – it's great right now, but it's going to be bad if the if there really is a lockout this long and, and there's just a, a lot of time where nothing's going on, really. I will say, I think the one thing that the, – the thing that's comforted me most about the idea of a lockout is Max shared that on Twitter that there's never been a lock a game missed because of a lockout. There's been games missed for a strike, but at least in the last, like, 50 years or whatever that was, Max, there's never been a Major League Baseball game missed because of a lockout. Is that right? Yeah, just the, the distinction being that like a strike is when the players walk out um, and and have the leverage because it's in the middle of the season usually. A lockout meaning the owners have frozen out the players uh, from working. So when this happens, which by the time you're in this podcast, it will effectively have a lockout. Players can't use facilities. They can't. They're just really not allowed to use any Major League Baseball uh, uh, facilities, and there's no, not going to be any transactions. So this will be an owner-imposed work stoppage. But you're right. Usually that happens – early in the off season. Um, and so that gives them enough. Usually that gives them enough time to negotiate, negotiate a new labor deal. Now I'm not under any illusions that this is going to happen fast. I mean, I think they're going to wait till the, you know, 11th hour, probably spring training, you know, when spring training is scheduled to start, that's probably when you'll see some sort of deal work out. That's, you know, when owners start to lose money because spring training games are a good source of revenue and you don't have to pay players in spring training. So uh, they'll be a little more incentivized to get a deal done then. And as I, I can't remember where I heard this, but I've always found it to be true. Things get done when they need to get done. So in December, you don't have to have a deal done. Nobody's doing anything anyway. All the deals have been signed, apparently. Um, but, uh, you know, like you said, in spring training, you need a deal now. It needs to get done. So now it'll get done. There was an old, I had a econ professor in college and I can't remember exactly his quote but he was talking about leverage in business and he said leverage comes on the table with the money 
It's like as soon as the money gets put on the table, your leverage goes with it. And if you don't have it, if you don't have the ace in the hole, it will be very apparent when the chips are down. And if you do, it'll be very apparent when the chips are down. I can't remember exactly how we put that, but basically is whoever's got the leverage, whoever's got the best negotiation, the best argument, the best whatever, when the money starts to be lost, like Max was saying in spring training, we'll see exactly where everybody's leverage is, where everybody's negotiating points are and wherever they're not willing to cross that border, um, where that line is when the money's on the table. So um, I'm not exactly worried we're going to miss any big league games. It doesn't sound like you guys are overly concerned about it either. Excuse me, but it is going to make for a slow off season. I, you know, don't with football and basketball, I don't really pay a ton of attention to the off season outside of, Hey, look, the Royals and everybody else signed some guys, traded some guys, or they didn't. And then when spring training rolls around, I'm like, okay, so who's where? Oh, that's right. Corey Seager plays for the Rangers now. So I always come back to things in like February. Um, but it is going to make for a slow off season. And hopefully the combination of the lockout and the, all the players and the, and the owners, they're just so greedy. Hopefully it doesn't turn fans away because it does feel like sometimes people get carried away with like, like labor negotiations, just like you would in your job. If, if your boss came to you and asked you to do something and you were like, yeah, I don't really want to do that. He's like, okay, well then you don't get to work here anymore. And if it was ridiculous enough, you wouldn't work there. And if it really wasn't that bad, you just go do it and get back to your job. So anyway, we're going to take a break on the other side of the break. We'll talk some Royal specific stuff outside of the CBA and we will be right back. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies like Google, Meta, and Apple. But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it. Then, in that moment, you don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done, and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of, like, afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts. All right, so I want to talk about the Royals' inactivity and free agency. They did sign Taylor Clark to a deal tonight. I don't know if it's a minor league deal, major league deal. They did sign major league deal. Jones. It is a major league deal? Yeah, almost so a million dollars, $950,000. So he got the final 40-man roster spot. I believe so. I guess I don't know for sure, but it sounded like it was – I think John Heyman kind of worded it, so it was a major league deal. Okay, but well, good for him. Yeah. So between Taylor Clark and Jacoby Jones, the Royals haven't done nothing, but they have done – as little as you can do and still not do anything. So I earlier in the off season was begging them to sign Starling Marte. Starling Marte only got four for 78. And I say only four, he's 32, 33. So four is about right, but he only got 78 million in those four years from the Mets. I would have given them that in a heartbeat. I would have gone four for 80 and said, how about this? Like, let's, I'm, we'll go to, we'll go all the way to 20 million a year. I probably would have gone like three and 75. You can almost get him the same AAV and not have to, you know, have him for the fourth year. I don't understand why Starling Marte didn't get very much money. Third most F4 among MLB outfielders since he came into the league. I mean, he's been incredible ever since he came in. I don't really understand the lack of a market for him. 
but whatever. I was all over at the beginning of the offseason. I really wanted the Royals to sign Starling Marte. I had the beat writers on, uh, Jeremy and I did. It was Alec Lewis, uh, Lynn Worthy, and Annie Rogers. And I said that, and they, they kind of laughed at me. And I, and I get it. I, it's a little facetious, but, like, I'm serious. I want them to go do that. I think it's the perfect time for it. Like, even if Starling Marte isn't helping you win the play, make the playoffs this year, he's not going to be a free agent again next year. You can't not sign him for 2022, but have him for 23 and 24 – the outfield, you know, center field free agents coming up are, are okay, but they're not Starling Marte. And so I'm like, go get him now. Have him for your playoff runs until you can develop one of your own because you don't have anything like that. And so when I said that, I was not met with very many people who agreed with me. I didn't feel like. I felt like the majority of people who commented on Twitter, who commented on our articles, who replied to the podcast in some capacity were like, yeah. This isn't the time. This isn't the off season. This isn't the right time. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. I'm in the minority here. Today, Alec Lewis writes an article about why the Royals are standing patent free agency and people lit him up on Twitter. I felt bad for Alec. Like Alec is just doing his job, what the people tell him to write. And he writes it and he writes it really well. And he got lit up like a Christmas tree for writing it. And I was like, man, where were you guys when I was trying to tell people to go sign Starling Marte? I felt like I was in the minority. I felt like nobody was with me. And now all of a sudden the Royals don't sign anybody and we're upset. Like, I don't know where the disconnect between these two different groups of people, uh, where, where it was the whole time, but I was floored to see people who were like pissed off that we weren't signing people because from every interaction I've had with Royals fans, it was like, yeah, not this year, wait one more year. So I'm curious what you guys think about the Royals inactivity during free agency. And Jackson, we'll go ahead and start with you. Um, the Royals haven't done much. Are you okay with it? Are you mad? Are you glad? Like, what are we, how are we feeling about the Royals inactivity? Well, I mean, I don't really think that we'll be shooting for the playoffs this year. I think it, it seems to me that they want to ride out all the young arms a lot more and to see what we have for another year, bring up all the prospects, you know, Bobby Witt, uh, Vinny, hopefully, Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, and just see where that goes. And I, they're probably hoping for a few more wins and it seemed a little more competitive. But I'm not really that shocked. I wish they'd go after another reliever like they – it seemed like they're going to, and, you know, that's not named Taylor Clark. And, um, you know, maybe show a little more. I, I wrote an article about maybe them considering um, signing one starting pitcher, like a veteran. And I've heard a lot of uh, other fans talk about bringing Granky back, which – I mean, he, yeah, he's a great veteran. He used to be here, but I don't know if that'd be the veteran that you'd want that would um, be a leader for the young starting pitchers. Um, but, yeah, it's a little disappointing, but it's not really that shocking that the moves that they've made so far, um, Jacoby Jones and Taylor Clark, is all that's happened. Jeremy, I'm not – I guess I should say I'm not surprised that the Royals haven't done anything. I'm surprised more at the reaction that other people have had. So – uh, Jeremy, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I know you're big, um, you know, on spending, but this year specifically, are you, are you, are you glad the Royals haven't spent any money or do you, do you think they should be like, this is the time to act? I, I have been a Royals fan since 1998. And there has not been a year where I didn't think the Royals should spend more money. Um, it's not my money and I want a good team. 
So I always root for spending more money. Uh, this offseason included, I wrote an article, uh, I think it's September, where I kind of laid out my plan for how the Royals would compete for a playoff spot. And it included, uh, you know, spending some money. And I tried to keep it reasonable. So, you know, I didn't go, I, if I had my way, the Royals wouldn't have just signed Starling Marte. They'd have signed Marte. They'd have signed Scherzer. Uh, you know, make a good run after uh, after Seager. Why not? Uh, you'd find room for these guys if they're good enough. Uh but I, like you said, I'm not surprised they're not spending. I am. I'm actually a little surprised they're not spending because last year they did. They did go out and get some guys. Now they didn't go out and get a Corey Seager or a, a Max Scherzer or a Starling Marte, but they went out and they got uh, Mike Miner. They got Carlos Santana. You know, these were these were not nobodies. These were not Taylor Clarks that they went out there and got. Um, and so with everybody else this offseason acting like money's about to go out of style and spending every last penny to improve the roster suddenly, and, and don't think I haven't noticed that and been trying to figure out why the heck they're they're willing to spend the money just because there's a deadline for, is it is it FOMO? Are they just like, I can't, I'm not going to be able to spend money in December, so I better spend it now. I don't know. But the, with everybody else spending money, when the Royals last year were the top spender uh, for a while, I, I can't remember how long that lasted, but for a while they spent more, they had spent more money in free agency than anyone. And then this year they come out and they're like, we're not going to spend any money. We won't even, we won't even spend a whole million dollars on the reliever. It's going to be 950 K. I, I, uh, so I'm not super surprised they're not spending, but I'm a little surprised. I think I saw somewhere that they were one of three teams that hadn't signed a free agent, um, other uh, until Taylor Clark. So that they're, they're in the very strong minority right now, uh, as far as spending goes. And I guess they're going to stay that way for a while. Yeah, and I, I wrote, I guess we're all pimping our articles today. <laughs> I also wrote an article today. Uh, I wrote an article today, actually, um, kind of reacting a little bit to, to Alex's uh, comments and also the Royals' lack of inactivity. And I think, you know, like, there's there's a wide space between signing Starling Marte level of free agents and signing Taylor Clark level of free agents. And I think, I think most Royals fans just want to see somewhere in the middle, kind of what they did last year, like, Mike Miner and Carlos Santana, I think most fans were pretty supportive of those deals. They liked the Andrew Benintendi trade. I think Royals fans just want to see more of that. I, I don't think, you know, you can argue that the Miner and Santana deals haven't worked out great. I think they worked out okay. Um, but um, I think they just want to see a little more activity for a team that won only 74 games last year, was bottom three in runs scored, bottom five in runs allowed, could use some more bullpen depth, use some more pitching depth. Um, and, but in fairness to the Royals, you know, like everyone's rushing out to the store on black Friday buying Corey Seager, Javier Baez. Um, doesn't mean that's the best time to buy. I mean, like, you know, I think we've, Dave Moore has rushed down and gotten free agents before, and he's been pilloried by the fan base, but like they've said like, Oh, why did he, why did he spend so much early on and set the market? He could have waited till February and gotten a better deal. And then when he waits till February to make a deal, people are like, Oh, why is he waiting? So, you know, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. So, you know, it, usually teams don't make moves till December. Anyway, it got accelerated a little bit because the, the labor uh, lockout. Um, so there will stop time. I think it, when things resume, hopefully they resume soon, but, and there may be a feeding frenzy at that point. I don't know what the market's going to look like at that point. We may have different rules, 
but I think they will be active. They need, they definitely need some more relievers. They, I think they do have a starting pitcher on their, you know, in their bullseye somewhere. Um, so I think you will see moves, but, but it is, you know, I think fans get a little antsy seeing everyone else make moves except for us. I do want to come back to the Starling Marte thing really quick. Cause you were, you said something about the Starling Marte level of like free agent. And I was thinking about when you said that my brain immediately went to like, okay, Marte got four for 78. He basically got the Alex Gordon deal and they've been very similar players like in their career. Marte's been a little more consistent offensively. Gordon was better defensively, but Marte plays center field. So while he's not quite as good, he's in a more premium position. And I was looking at their numbers. Marte has one and a half less war than Gordon did in his entire career. So you would expect Marte to surpass that. Um, but he basically got the Alex Gordon deal, right? Didn't Gordon get four for 72? Something like that. So right. he got an extra something $6 like million dollars or something. So I don't know. I was looking at that today and I thought, I was like, man, if you're the role, anyway, I don't want to talk about Starling Marte anymore. He's gone. It's not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> well, I mean, like the, that age, I, I wonder if the age kind of scared, scared him off. I mean, I think, cause I think the trend in baseball is to go for younger fridges. I think that's probably why Marte probably didn't get more because you're right. He's been a pretty, he's been a really good player the last couple of years, but um, you know, he's what 32. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, so he's going to be 33, 34, 35, 36 for this contract. And that's, you know, you, you could probably, you could probably say that the last year or two of that contract is probably not going to be very good uh, either way. So I, I, I can understand why the Royals maybe are want to stick. I, I, if I ran a small market team, I'd probably stick more to the, you know, one, two year deals, a big one, two year, one or two year deal for, for players at that, of that age. Um, so I, I kind of get that a little bit. I guess I'm, I guess I'm looking at it in from a sense of, I, I don't know what their plan is in center field. Like I, I know they're going to run um, Michael A. Taylor back out there again this year, but like, what, what's the plan after that? Like what's the plan in center field after we have, Michael A. Taylor out there again the next year. I'm looking at, um, or I'm trying to look anyway at, I know Spotrack has, um, you know, free agent listings. And right now they've got an ad over what I'm trying to read. So <laughs> if I can pull this up, I will. Um, but like, I don't know. I, the last time I looked at center field prospects, oh, I got to do me. Last time I looked at center field prospects, I wasn't overly impressed, not prospects, I'm sorry, free agents. I wasn't overly impressed with what was becoming available in the next couple of years. And it's like, I like looking at center field, it's not a position you can just say, Oh, you know what? Like, yeah, we're going to be fine paying Starling or I'm sorry, uh, Michael A. Taylor to play out there. So like, if you look at, you know, next year's free agent class, you have Shogo Akiyama, Jackie Bradley, Jr. Lorenzo Kane. Um, I don't believe Kiki Hernandez is still a free agent after next year. Travis Jankowski, Kevin Kiermeyer has a club option. Cattell Marte isn't getting let out of that option. Tyler Naquin and Brandon Nimmo. It's like there's not a free agent again next year. So it's like, what are you, what are you doing? We can't not have a player in center field. And they don't have anybody really in their farm system that's even close to being ready for next year. So my issue with the Starling Marte thing, and again, not just Starling Marte, but the not prioritizing center field is you not just don't have a center fielder in 2022 you don't have one in 2023 either at the moment. And I don't know, unless you're, you're going to trade a bunch of prospect capital, I don't know where else you're going to get a center fielder. Well, well you, that, that's it right there. I mean, like, so, so Alec Lewis is writing about the, what does Tampa Bay do? They're, they've been transactional, right? Look at their outfield. 
Randy Arozarena. They they traded away a first round pick, top one hundred pitching prospect, and Matthew Liberatore uh, to get Arozarena. A trade that was kind of criticized at the time. People didn't know what they were doing. Uh, Manny Margot was acquired from I think the Padres for uh, reliever Emilia Pagan. I think uh, uh, you know uh, Brett Phillips. They got him from the Royals for Lucius Fox. Um, I think the Royals probably should be a little more active in the trade market. And if that means giving up uh, prospect capital, um, you know, sometimes that's what you do because prospects, we know, don't pan out all the time. Um, I think they probably should have entertained trading Scott Barlow as good as he is uh, and as good as much as they need bullpen depth because he's pretty valuable. He could probably net you a decent, uh, you know, major league ready outfielder probably. So uh, I, th- I think they should probably be, exp- you know, the fridge market's great, but, but you're right. You know, there's not, there's not a lot out there. It's a thin, thin market. So, where do you turn to? You got to look at the trade market. And I think that maybe they should be a little more transactional on that front. Well, uh, as an internal option, how'd you guys feel about uh, the end of the year with Kyle Isbell in center field? I thought he did pretty well out there. I was hoping that, well, I was assuming they're going to let Taylor walk and that Isbell would get a lot more reps this year. Hopefully they can platoon him maybe just to try it out. I mean, what can they, what do they lose from giving him more, uh, more innings out there? I agree. I also think that, the Royal, there's no way the Royals give Taylor two years and nine million if the plan is Isbell in center field. So, like, I don't necessarily hate Kyle Isbell out there. I think he'd probably be fine, not good, but fine. Um, I just think we've 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 killed the idea he's going to be your answer in center field if you felt like you needed to give Taylor nine million dollars while you had Isbell in the wing. So, yeah. I, see, I just don't think nine million dollars over two years guarantees you anything. I mean, you can pay a backup four and a half million annual average value and not feel bad about that at all, especially if it's a backup that is really good defensively and can and can do some pinch running for you. Like it's it's not like he would have no value on the bench. You could easily put him stick him on the bench and then pinch run him in the late innings and put him in as a defensive replacement in center field and not feel like you've overpaid at four and a half million. So, I don't disagree with the with the concept of that. My question is, when have we ever seen the Royals do that? They had, in 2017, I think 2017, they had the best in the business at that. They had the best bench outfielder in baseball, and they traded him for Nate Carnes when it was time to pay him. Like, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Jeremy. I just disagree with the fact that the Royals will do that. When have the Royals ever given anybody $9 million with the intention of them being a backup. I don't, the Royals, that's not, that's not their memo. Like in my, in my mind, the Royals gave him 9 million. He is going to start. And especially on opening day, he's going to start out there until he physically can't do it anymore at the level he's doing it, which is already isn't very good. is, is bad offensively. Um, so like, I agree with what you're saying on every other baseball team in the, in the league, the Royals have never done that. I, I, I can't think of an example of them doing that. So I don't know what that's know that's what, uh, fair. The only thing I'll say is they have a new owner and a new GM. Maybe, probably not, but maybe things will be different this time. I think that's what we, we, we keep saying to ourselves whenever we watch the Royals is maybe things will be different this time and they'll win some baseball games, right? I think he's probably going to serve as a hedge. I think he's going to be the starting center fielder next year to start the year and they may ease Isbell in. And he can be, and they can kind of split time or, so you know, uh, you know, since conveniently they hit both hit from different sides of the plate and it can be kind of a trans transition thing. And look, in fairness, Taylor was a, what, two win player last year. 
yeah, he can't hit, but he can pick it. I mean, he's a gold glover out there, uh, which is what they're looking for. On a team that could hit more around him, he'd be a terrific center, starting center fielder, I think. You know, if, if Hunter Dozier was hitting the way he should, you know, they think he should hit, if Adalberto Monesty was healthy, if this is a lineup that was like closer to average, I don't think you'd mind Taylor starting center field at all. Yeah, if he's the number nine hitter, uh, then I think that's okay. And deservedly, the number nine hitter. Uh, the biggest problem, I think we've discussed this before even, is that this year he was the number five hitter, the number six hitter. <laughs> that doesn't work. But if he's if he's your number nine hitter and everybody else is doing their job, then, well, he's a def- great defender at a premium position. And if he gets on, he can run. It's not the end of the world. Yeah, I, I, I look at, you know, a piece like that and – you're you're right on a on a team that was like the, like the Yankees this year probably would have killed that Michael A. Taylor because they they could hit for everything and then their defense you know, let them down in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but the Royals aren't there, and the the best player at the best value played that position on the free agent market, and it was interesting to me the way they ended up going there. Um, I want to get to some final thoughts here, really quick. I have I have a thought about. Um, the young pitching that, that came across yesterday while I was, I was doing uh, over at Royals farm report, um, evaluating windows of the teams at the AL central, how does everything line up? And the Royals have a ton of young arms and I was looking at it and I'm like, I don't know that the starters in the 2024 rotation are even in the big leagues yet. Like we've seen a pretty deep young wave of young starting pitching prospects come to the big leagues and I don't know how many of them will still be starting by the time Alec Marsh and Jonathan Boland and Asa Lacey get here. Like you could still have a majority of your playoff rotation that is still in the minor leagues, that is still developing, that is still waiting in the wings while your singers, boobiches, and coars, excuse me, of the world um, are still are, are already here. So I was thinking about that the other day. The Royals have created themselves a ton of good pitching depth, which is outstanding. They've totally turned a corner in that regard from the last hell, even the last three years, four years. So good on them. I can't wait to see that more of this depth show up because there is a ton of talent still on the farm that we haven't even gotten to see yet. Jeremy, you got any final thoughts? Uh, final thoughts. He asks me as I stall for time, trying to come up with some final thoughts. Uh, it's the lockout thing is, is, uh, I don't expect it to cost, uh, baseball any games really. I don't expect it. I I expect it to last a little bit, but, um, as we've all kind of implied, I don't think it'll go into the spring training. Uh, so hopefully people won't be too freaked out about that. Uh, and I hope we get a good labor deal out of it that everybody's happy with. Um, so that we can move forward and, and baseball can continue to try and improve. Jackson, any final thoughts? Uh, I mean, really, I'm just hoping that um, front office can show a little more of what they were talking about, go after at least one, you know, um, more known and very quality bullpen arm and maybe a starting pitcher just to give the fans something so it doesn't seem like we're just running it back again, shooting for 74 wins every year. <laughs> But besides that, uh, I don't have much else. Max, final thoughts? Well, I was just thinking we just had a pandemic where we were like 
struggling to think of things to write about when there was no baseball over the summer. Now we have a, a lockdown where there's going to be like no news for a month, two months, three months. We don't know. Uh, so I'm kind of dreading that, trying to think of like things we're going to write about on the yeah. side and talk about. I'm sure we'll find something. Uh, well, guys to... can maybe, Jeremy can write about baseball movies again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Join as a Royals, me on the dark side. <laughs> uh, as a Royals fan, I would just say when you're watching labor negotiations, I guess the one thing you should be rooting for is changing service time because I think if they get rid of service time as a as a way of determining free agency or at least some sort of fix, the the, the greater odds Bobby Wood Jr. starts next year opening day on the Royals roster, like he probably should for baseball reasons. And probably the sooner also you'll see Nick Prado and MJ Melendez as well. Maybe not on opening day, but, but pretty quickly. And, uh, yeah, and hopefully there's ways uh, to incentivize keep you know, keeping those kind of players in Kansas city long-term because I think we all want to see them in Kansas city for a very long time and see them successful. Agreed on all fronts. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Um, we'll do this again soon. Well, I say well, we will. I don't know what we're going to talk about, like what Max was saying, but uh, we'll come up with something. <laughs> Exciting yeah. labor law talk. We did a really yeah. – I, I really like that draft episode we did. That was that was pretty good. Yeah, Maybe we can fun. find a new way to finagle that into, into something else. So um, thank you all for listening very much. We'll, we'll try to keep you entertained as the offseason rolls through a lockout. Um, we'll do our best. If you have any questions, feel free to submit them in the comments section under this article on royalsreview.com. We'll get to the comments. We'll we'll pin some questions and see if we can't circle back to them here in a couple of weeks. Until then, I appreciate y'all for listening. We'll see you all again very soon.